Well, good morning and welcome to Christ the King in this a little bit of a drippy morning. Uh, I, last, yesterday, pardon me, last week I referenced an uh, anecdote from uh, our family, uh, which I indicated I was a little bit of a tyrant when it came to, came to mealtimes, insisting that food be eaten in a particular timely fashion, etc. Oh, I come by this naturally. Uh, occasionally around my childhood, I would endure the same. My father, uh, if there was some unsavory meal, I, I remember salmon patties as especially unwelcome, uh, an unwelcome meal, but occasionally we'd have salmon patties or something else. And my dad would stage a theatrical vote in which he would say something to the effect of, well, let's just, let's just have a vote here. I'm just curious. If you don't, if you want to go, say, to McDonald's, skip, skip this meal, skip the salmon patties, just cast a vote, say, I. And so, of course, all the three kids, sometimes even my mom would say, I. <laughs> I, I, I want to pass. So I would actually prefer McDonald's. And so my dad would take out his uh, theatrical scorecard and tally up the votes. Well, it's one, two, three, four votes, I. And then you say, okay, well, I want one more vote. Who votes that we stay here and eat what's prepared? And you say, nay, one vote to nay. He marked that on the, the tally as well. Take a moment, tally up the scorecard, and say, well, I've, I've got it. The results are in. We have four votes nay. We have one vote aye. Looks like the ayes carry it again. And so my poor children suffer through the, the, the scarring that I endured as a child. And the message was clear as a young person. And the message was simply this, that dad was in charge and he had the authority. And regardless of how many votes there were one way, it just took one vote the other way to swing the day. We're in the early chapters of Mark. And there is one overriding impression that I believe we encounter in these early chapters of Mark. We heard it in our passage this morning. And that is that Jesus is presented to us as someone who is in absolute authority, completely in charge. And I want to look this morning at three snapshots, three different scenes. So if you have a, brought your Bible from home, great. You can turn to Mark chapter 1. Or you'll find this in the Pew Bible in front of you. We're going to look at three little scenes from Mark's gospel. And we're going to look at them all through the lens of his authority. And we're going to see that Jesus' authority is expressed in a variety of different circumstances, in a variety of different ways. We're going to see the authority of his command his authority expressed by his command. We're going to see his authority expressed in his compassion. And finally, we'll see his authority expressed through his charisma. And I not only, we're not only going to look at these for the sake of knowing and learning about Jesus, but also because these things are also true for you and me. While these things that we're going to observe about Jesus' authority are ultimately true about him, there is a degree to which they're true of each and every follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, supreme authority rests with him. But to a lesser degree, these are all partially true for you and me. So let's jump right in. We're going to first look at his 
authority expressed through his command. Easy to observe in our text, Jesus spoke. Verse 25, Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent, come out of him, and the evil spirit obeyed. His words were totally and completely meaningful. Now, we all know what it is to command, at least in part. We all know what it is to say, what it feels like to say, do something, and it's done, at least partially. But even at our most authoritative, our commands are only outlines. They're only suggestions. We have to conjole. We have to bribe. We have to offer the carrot or the stick to, at least we do in our family, to get uh, anything that approximates obedience. Not so with Jesus. Did you notice it's just the naked word? He said, and it happened. That should remind you of another story in the Bible. Back up all the way to the very beginning, and Genesis chapter 1 begins with these words. God said, and it was. His words were totally and completely effective and meaningful. They did what they were supposed to do. Jesus' words are the same. As we sang in our, same, in our opening hymn, we sang that God's strong word did cleave the darkness. At your speaking, it was done. And that's exactly what we encounter in this first display of Jesus' authority. At his speaking, it was done. What does this mean for us? Well, let me suggest that there are times in our service when we should hear the voice that speaks from this pulpit, not as the voice of a fallible uh, a pastor, but we should hear what comes from here as the voice of God. That, means, that is meant to offer no uh, inflation of the importance of any person, but it's no exaggeration. For instance, I will say, after we make our confession, I will say, Almighty God, have mercy on you. And then I will say these words, Hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. That is God's authoritative word for you. We call the words that follow the comfortable words that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is a true saying worthy of all to be received that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous one. And he is the perfect offering, not only for your sins, but for the sins of the whole world. This is God's authoritative word to you me. It's, we receive it as such. What do we learn about ourselves? I believe that most of us have this type of authority that's expressed in our command, but it's largely underutilized and underemployed. We give lip service to the fact that we speak with authority when we say, when we close our prayer in Jesus' name. That's a typical way that many of us close our prayer. We're not praying this under our authority. No, we're claiming to leverage the authority of Jesus as we present whatever request it is before God. But I believe that most of the time we really don't believe it. Nor am I suggesting that just because you say, I pray this in Jesus' name, it's going to happen with the same effectiveness and the same instantaneous impact that we saw here. Not normally, not usually, but it does mean that on occasion. 
One of my first experiences and a really impactful experience as a young curate, that's what we call someone in their first position at a seminary, I was uh, serving as an associate pastor at the Falls Church. And the Falls Church sits on the corner of Route 7 and Route 29. It's quite a very busy intersection. And I was crossing Route 29, and a car careened through the intersection, careened through Route 7, and smashed into a light post not too far away from me. I was the first one on the scene, and another car pulled over, so two of us ran to the car, and we saw the fellow in there, the airbags deployed, and we saw uh, he was convulsing, he was in a seizure. Uh, his uh, body was rigid, his eyes were, were shut, the, the mouth, you, you probably have seen this, I need not describe it any further, it was quite unpleasant to say it the least. And so being a young curate, not knowing not knowing better, reached my hand in, in the car and prayed something with not much more eloquence than in Jesus' name be healed or in Jesus' name, something in Jesus' name for the benefit of this person. And almost instantaneously, uh, his seizure stopped and he rested. Now, that's one occasion, I have to reach way back into the annals of my memory to present that to you. I'm by no means am I suggesting that this is an everyday experience, but it is an occasional one. And I believe that we honor the authority of Jesus' word when we pray in anticipation. A little less exciting, I believe that each one of us has an authority, again, underutilized in our own lives. The Bible says that you have an authority against sin, over sin. The Apostle Paul says, crucify the flesh. Take those things that are opposed to God and nail them to the tree and leave them there forever. We exercise our authority by the decisiveness of our repentance. Further, you know that we have authority over the devil. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, not he from us, not we from him, but he from us. When's the last time you said, or I said, devil, I've just had enough of your accusations and your temptations. It's time for you to go in Jesus' name. If you're like me, you have not said that nearly as often as you ought. So there's our first point. The authority of Jesus expressed in his command. And I believe that's available to all those who call upon his name. Let's move on. The authority of Jesus expressed in his compassion. Now, this is story takes place in chapter 1, verses 40 and 45. It's not printed in your service leaflet, but the setting is simply that Jesus encounters uh, a leper. And the leper makes this inquiry of him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, verse 41, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. His authority is expressed in his compassion. Now, we may not think of those two things coexisting all the time, authority and compassion. Matter of fact, it often seems that they are opposed to one or one another. Not the case. I was listening to an NPR program. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday night, and there was a, the program was interviewing the author of The, the Power Paradox. That was the title of the book. I've not seen it any further, but the interview was so interesting. The Power Paradox. Here it is that people come into power and come into authority usually for good reasons. They're generous, they're compassion, they're altruistic. And with these traits, people grow in authority. However, that old adage, power corrupts, 
is effective, and those very things that got them into authority, uh, power erodes it. Make sense? So you grow in your authority through compassion, empathy, and yet once in authority, those things erode. Now, I just find that compelling. I think of all the, the, the abuses of power that have blighted our headlines over these past couple of months, mainly men abusing their authority. And this just strikes me with the ring of truth that these men who were in authority were probably no different from you or me. They weren't some different breed of evil humanity. No, they probably came to the positions of authority for good reasons. It's just that once in authority, they started to... Uh, well, there's this old saying that uh, smoke is okay, cigar smoke is okay, just don't inhale it. Flattery is okay, just don't inhale it. They began to inhale the flattery. They began to believe the good things that were said about them. They began to think, I'm just a little bit above all those other folks. Began to decrease in compassion and empathy. There was actually a human experiment. I thought this was fascinating. They set up a, the authors set up a, a pedestrian on a crosswalk. And they hid uh, another person in the bushes. And the test was to note who stopped for the pedestrian and let the pedestrian cross as they ought and who didn't. And they were to take a special note of the value of the car. Does anyone want to proffer a hypothesis? By a swing of 40%, those people with what was some demarcation of luxury car did not stop for the pedestrian. And those people with more modest cars did. And I don't know about you, but I can see myself there. I know what it's like to think, gosh, I'm just a little bit too busy. I would like to stop for you, but, you know, I, I got some stuff to do. Haven't you been there? Absolutely. Well, Jesus was not like that. His fame is skyrocketing. The last verse of the passage we had read to us indicates his fame is exploding. People clamoring at his door. But yet, even with his skyrocketing fame, he still has time for uh, this outcast, a leper. And did you note how this verse slows down? Moved with pity, he reaches out his hand and touches him. Very tender. Jesus has not changed. He's still, his authority is still expressed in his compassion. And he has a compassionate word for you today. And this is something for us to learn and reflect on as well. Do you want to grow in authority? Then grow in your empathy, grow in your compassion. Are you in a position of authority? Many of us are. Don't lose the things that got you there. Don't lose compassion. Don't lose empathy. Don't lose altruism. Don't be like the driver of the luxury car who thinks, I'd love to stop, but, you know, I'm important. Instead, be like Jesus, who, with the crush of the crowd, still had time for the least of the least. His authority is expressed in compassion. Third and final, his authority is expressed in his charisma. 
You find these words all throughout the opening uh, of Mark's gospel. Follow me, Jesus says to the fishermen. Follow me, he says to the tax collector. And they pick up and they follow him. I cite one verse for you in your sermon notes. That's chapter 2, verse 14. You'd find the same thing in chapter 1, verse 17. Follow me, Jesus says to Peter. I will make you become fishers of men. And I just reflect, just consider how charismatic Jesus must have been. What a compelling figure he was. I mean, so attractive, so charismatic, that with a simple invitation, men and women dropped up everything, picked up from where they were, and followed him. No pale Galilean he. You know, it's one of those, the detractors of the early church referred to Jesus as the pale Galilean. Nope. No pale Galilean, but a man full of life and full of the joy of life. Someone for whom many left house and home at the simple invitation to follow him. He has not changed. He is the same charismatic man, full of life, who invites you and me to follow him. So we should respond to his charismatic authority and learn from it as well and grow in it, grow in our charisma. I know that most of us probably think charisma is something that either you have or you don't. Like you look at someone who's, uh, some people just seem to be set up to be world shakers, that whatever they're do, going to do, they're going to do it big. Like charisma is this thing you have or you don't. And that's just it. However, just consider the men and women that Jesus surrounded himself with fishermen, blue-collar workers, social outcasts. These are not the people that you would look at and say, ah, those guys, they're going to turn the world around. Not at all. But they did. They became fishers of men. They caught men and women by the thousands. They were incredibly charismatic, and their charisma came from the same source, the same source that is available to you and me. Our charisma comes from our intimacy with Jesus Christ. I wonder if you can think of anyone in your, in your experience who's just been just charismatic. I think of this one fellow that I knew in high school. Most of the names from high school are just a blur back there. But there's this one man, one boy at that time that I remember. Uh, he was not much by any standards of high school measurements. He wasn't a jock. He wasn't in the in crowd. He read a, led a, a little Bible study. He was outspoken about his faith, and he just had this compelling charisma about him. It's a charisma that came through his intimacy with Jesus. And there are no shortcuts for you and me. So there you have it. Three quick snapshots from the early ministry of Jesus in Mark's Gospel. We've seen his commanding authority as he confronts an evil spirit, and at his speaking, it is done. Remember, you and I, we exercise that same authority, at least in part. We claim it when we pray in Jesus' name. We exercise it over sin and even over the devil. Absolutely. Remember the compassionate authority of Jesus Christ. Remember that compassion and authority, empathy and authority, these things are inseparable. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Remember his 
charismatic authority as he invites us to follow him. And remember, you have that same access to that charisma born out of an intimacy with him. Now, our headlines these past couple of months have been filled, just absolutely chock full of abuses of power and authority. It's just so sad. Here we have a compelling, true, good vision of authority. I'm still convinced that one of the greatest abuses of authority, of power, is to not put it to use. And that's the note that I want to end on, that each one of you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, has probably an untapped reservoir of authority. Let's put it to use this week. Perhaps the authority of command as we encounter those things that are opposed to God. Perhaps the authority of compassion as we reach and touch the hurting flesh of somebody else. Perhaps the authority of charisma as we invite someone to follow him. Let's take a moment of silence and ask God to impress these things upon us and I'll close us in prayer. We thank you, Jesus, that you are in charge. You have not changed. You spoke then and you still speak now with authority. We pray that you would speak in authority to us. You touched and still touch us with the power of your tenderness. You called and still call us through the power of your charisma. We pray that you would remind us of your authority and help us grow in the same. Amen.